Luke chapter 4, verse 31. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, and they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her immediately, and she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he had said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. One occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered him, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners and to the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he kneeled down. He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for proof to them. But now 
even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him, and he healed their infirmities. But he would withdraw to the desolate places and pray. Let's, uh, let's pray as we look into the Word. Lord, would you be with us this morning as we consider this passage from the Gospel of Luke. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring this Word. And I pray that you would uh, be with the words that I speak, guiding them. I pray that you'd be with each one who hears, that we, they would have ears to hear, um, that your uh, that, it would, that it would serve exactly the purpose that you intended to serve this morning. We thank you, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, last week we saw Jesus inaugurate his ministry with a sermon to the people of his own hometown. And he read there, if you remember from last week, from the prophet Isaiah about the coming Messiah and the coming age that this Messiah would usher in. And then he declared to them, this is fulfilled. Today, this is. They didn't believe it. They rejected him. And then if you remember, it, they tried to kill him. And yet he walked right through their midst because you don't take Jesus' life. He gives it. Now, perhaps that should have told them something, but they didn't seem to get it. So we come to the passage, this passage this morning, in Capernaum, the place in which the people of Nazareth said, hey, do the things that we've heard you do at Capernaum. And the people of Capernaum, they don't want to kill Jesus. In fact, they want Jesus to stay with them, right? That's good, right? You know, get, get people to like Jesus. That's what we want. Get people to want Jesus to be around. That's what we want. That's the goal, isn't it? Have you ever been out on a walk, in a park, somewhere, down the street, I don't know, and you see a little old lady or a young girl, and she's walking a big old dog. Have you ever seen that? The dog weighs as much as the person does, you're thinking, you know. And here she is strolling down the street, down the sidewalk, dog on a leash, so proud, so confident. You know, you know what I'm talking You know, like, I'm really proud of my big dog, you know. <laughs> You've seen this, I'm sure. Wherever she goes, the dog goes. You see, the people of Nazareth... We might say they are not dog people. That was their mistake. They should be dog people. Capernaum. Capernaum recognizes the benefits of having a big, good dog. And Jesus is the best and the biggest of them all, right? He's the most powerful dog. He'll protect you if you need it. He's the warmest, 
He's the cuddliest, you know, when you feel down, he comes and he curls up at your feet, he helps you, he comforts you. And when it's a nice day, when it's nice enough outside, not today, obviously, but when it's nice enough outside, you take him out for a walk so everyone can see him and be impressed by him. So long as you keep him on a leash. So you can tell him where to go. So he doesn't bother anyone else. Don't want anyone to be unsettled at the park by your big dog. And if he barks, you can yank the leash, get him to shut up. You see, it's all well and good until someone else comes along with their dog. And then we find out who's walking who, don't we? You see, if you try to put Jesus on a leash in some area of your life, what you're going to end up with is a torn rotator cuff. That's what you're going to end up with. Or much worse, as we'll see. Because Jesus isn't a dog. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus never said that you could leash him. You don't get to be God over the Son of God. Bottom line this morning is this. You don't tame Jesus. So Jesus goes to Capernaum, and he preaches in the synagogue. And it says that when he teaches, his word possesses authority. The content of his message, the content of what he's speaking in the synagogues is the word of God. And we'll see word repeated often in this passage. We'll see it repeated often in this section of the book of Luke. From Genesis, the word has had power, and it still has power today. And the consequence of his preaching is that the people are impressed with his authority. And they should be. They should be impressed. But their response falls short. You see, they'll recognize his authority, but, they, but will they treat him as their authority? That's the question. And then we see that authority at work in the passage. The powers of the cosmos are forced to submit to the powers of the Son of God. First, we see it with a man with an unclean demon. The demon is surprised. What are you doing here? Leave me alone. That's the, the emphasis of this first, ha! What are you doing here? Leave me alone. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And at that moment, Jesus silences and rebukes the demon. And the demon is thrown down, or the demon throws down the man in their midst, right? In Nazareth, they tried to throw Jesus down, but he walked through their midst. Here, the demon throws the man down in their midst, but the demon must go away. The demon must go away, and Jesus keeps the man safe. And the people are even more amazed at his authority and at his power. And next, Jesus goes from there to Simon's house. And his mother-in-law is really sick, it says, and they appeal to him. 
almost certainly they feared that she would die. And Jesus, it says, stands over her and rebukes the fever. And again, at his word, it says, it leaves. It leaves so immediately, it leaves so completely that she hops up and she starts to serve them. Because that's how good she feels, right? Well, can I make you some food? Thank you very much. The reports are getting around and the sun is setting, it says, and people are coming. And Jesus is doing two things. He's healing people of all sorts of diseases and he's casting out demons. And it goes on all night. Notice that in the text. But the next thing is, it says is, when the sun is coming up, when it was day, all night he's doing this. All night he's healing people. All night he's speaking words and, and diseases are leaving people. He's speaking words and demons are being cast out. And every time it says that demons try to identify who he is as the son of God, not the son of Joseph, he won't let them. He shuts them up. Why is that? Because it's not about the demons understanding who he is. He wants the people of Capernaum to recognize who he is. He wants the people of Capernaum to not just recognize his power, but his position. To not just see that he has authority, but to see that he's their authority. And so verse 42 says that this happened until it was day, all night he went on with this, and, and it says that they, they, would, quote, they would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And you might think, hey, what's, the, what's, the, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Jesus was doing miracles. He was helping people. They wanted more people to be helped. There were still some more sick people. There were still some more demon-possessed people. There were still some more people with fevers and with diseases. And Jesus, just stay a little longer. We got some more people to bring to you. You're doing some good work. We really like you here. Isn't that what Jesus is about? Helping people? Isn't our goal to get people to like Jesus and to want him to be around them more? That's happening. Get people to be like Capernaumites rather than Nazarenes. Here's the problem. You skip forward a couple chapters. Luke chapter 10, verse 15. Here's what Jesus says. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Hell will welcome you with open arms, your diseases and fevers and all. See, the problem is, they wanted Jesus, but only to control Jesus. They welcomed his power, but they re rejected his position. They wanted his authority, just not over them.
here's what makes this so tricky, guys. Here's what makes this so tricky. Jesus' word works. It works. Practically, it works. Years ago when I was in youth group, my very well-intentioned and typically spot-on youth pastor was teaching, and I remember he said something to the effect of this, quote, even if Jesus isn't really God and didn't really rise from the dead, I would still follow God's word because it's just a better way to live. And at the time I thought, okay, yeah, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think it is a better way to live. Earlier this year, I was having a conversation with someone I'd been sharing the gospel with, and they said to me, they said to me, man, this world's so messed up, and I really do believe it'd be better if people would live by God's word. It would really, it really truly would be a better place if people would live by, by God's word, um, but they don't, and, I, and so I just, I can't believe that God, that God is God. I can't believe in Jesus. I won't surrender my life to him. You see, on the one hand, there is truth here, and we can see it in the lives of unbelievers who, by God's common grace, do what the Bible says without even realizing it, and it works. It's good. It's helpful. God created and ordered the world. When we follow that order, when we follow how he's created things, there are less issues. We are standing with the grain, if you will. And there's so much in, of God's word much of his way of doing things that that's just, just works, it's just wise. Because the same word that instructs us today, the same word that instructs us here in, God, in, in the Bible, is the same word that created everything. And so, of course, of course, if we follow the designer's instructions, it will work better. When Jesus rebukes the fever, he rebukes it because it's where it was never meant to be. People weren't meant to be sick. That's not how God created the world. And as, God king, as God's kingdom advances through Jesus' word, the good news of the kingdom, the cosmos we see in the scriptures is literally being restored in little ways everywhere he goes. But we see that, and that tempts us to turn the good news of the kingdom of God into that old UPS slogan, what can Brown do for you? What can Jesus do for you? Jesus, he could heal you too. He could cast out your demon too. Hey, keep that Jesus around on a leash, he's helpful in a pinch. But what happens when your life doesn't go well? What happens when your wife is given months to live because she has stage four cancer? What happens then? 
if we were looking for what Jesus can produce and not Jesus himself, what then? Everyone cheers, Jesus, Jesus, when Jesus is doing in their life what they like anyway. But what happens when his purposes aren't your purposes? Who's in charge? Whose word has authority, really? Oh, we'll let the dog walk out in front. So long as he's leashed and he turns where we want him to turn. And we wink and we nod at passerbys. Do you see the size of my dog? Do you see how good he looks? Do you want to pet him? Do you see how I've got a hold on his leash? He may think he's leading, but it's really me. You should be a dog person too. We cannot think if someone would just let Jesus into their house, cast out, let him cast out a demon, let him rebuke a few fevers, their life would be better, and then they'd love Jesus. That's not the goal. Let him rebuke a fever or cast out a demon. It's not Jesus worked for me and he can work for you. We can't tame Jesus. You know, I've heard a lot of people talk about how to grow a church or how to share the gospel or any number of things, and many would have told Jesus to keep on doing what he was doing in Capernaum, right? It's working. The pews are filling. They'll come to church service all night. You can't get someone to get up in the morning sometimes for church. They're coming all night. Well, don't tell them about sin. Don't tell them about hell. Don't tell them about their deep spiritual need. Don't, don't, don't tell them they have to leave everything. Don't tell them that they have to fall on their face before you, Jesus. Look at how much you're helping people, and the world loves it. They love you, Jesus. This is good. Just keep doing your miracles. Jesus says, no, I need to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. I need to preach what Luke earlier told us will cause the rise and the fall of many people. Why? Because those people don't actually love Jesus. They love what he is producing. It's their purposes that they are serving, not him. And Jesus didn't come to serve others for their reasons, for their purposes. He came to serve others for the Father's purposes. That's what he is submitted to, the Father. And we submit to him. The purpose of Jesus' community outreach program here was not primarily to help others. Oh, he certainly had compassion on people, and, and that is true. And we ought to as well. But his purpose was not to eradicate all the material and social problems around him. He leaves people who are sick and demon-possessed. They're right there. They're right there. They're right there. And he leaves to go preach the gospel somewhere else because that's what his purpose is. You see, if an our idea of community outreach, preaching the gospel becomes secondary to being nice and loving and serving people and helping people, then we are serving the purpose of someone other than Jesus. 
we are saying to Jesus, no, Jesus, our way of doing it is better. Can't you see? They keep coming. Look how popular we are. They love us, Jesus. And yes, yes, listen, you should love your neighbor. But you cannot love your neighbor into God's kingdom. You are not the savior of the world. You can't die on a cross for them. You are Jesus' witnesses. You are his ambassadors. You are his messengers. And the message is the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what they need. This leads us pretty naturally into the next part of our passage and, and a different option for us. Jesus is teaching outside on this occasion, out by the lake. He's on the shore. The people are pressing in. They want to hear what he's going to say, and perhaps they want to see who he's going to heal. And I imagine his feet are getting a little wet in his sandals as they keep pressing in, and he keeps backing up, and, and it says, it says that some boats are on the lake. Simon and his crew had just got done with a long night out at sea. They hadn't caught a single thing. And they're cleaning their nets in the water on the shore. And Jesus says, hey, will you, will, you, will you put this boat out in the sea a little bit? And he climbs up on the boat, so he's got sort of a little stage. You could preach out to the crowds and, and not get shoved into the water, right? And he begins to, to, to teach the crowds what he has to teach them. And I imagine Simon and company, they're still cleaning the nets over here. Perhaps they're listening. You know, they got one ear kind of tuned into what Jesus is saying. They're kind of curious, but they got a job to do. They need to clean some nets. And when Jesus is done, it says, Jesus tells Simon, hey, hey, Simon, put out into the deep. Hey, I'm so glad you got those nets clean. Now let's go put out in the deep again. Drop your nets. Yeah, yeah, I know. I don't know how long Jesus' sermon was. I'm, I'm imagining it's maybe hours he's taught. Hours they've been cleaning these nets. They're finally done. They're ready. They've been up all night. They're ready to go home and take a nap. And Jesus says, hey, let's go out again. And they're thinking, look, we did this all night. We caught nothing. Fishing in the day is worse than fishing at night. I need, a, I need some rest. And if I put those nets, as soon as I put those nets in that water, that's hours of work again. This doesn't make sense, Jesus. Nothing about this makes sense. The timing, the task, nothing. And Simon, he, he, I, love, I love it. I love the way he says this. He, he makes as much known, hey, Jesus, we toiled, we toiled all night and took nothing. I don't, know if you, I don't know if you saw us cleaning the nets and no fish, but, but we didn't catch anything last night. It's not, it's, it's not a good day for fishing. We already established that. And then this is the critical moment, guys. This is critical, 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 critical moment. Then he says, but at your word. But at your word. Because you said so, Jesus. Not because it makes sense to me, the expert fisherman who's been fishing my entire life, and what are you, a carpenter? Look, I'm not asking you how to make a table. If we were making a table, maybe I'd take your advice. I'm the fisherman here. I'm a pretty good one. I've got multiple boats and i got a crew. No, he says, yeah, 
doesn't make sense, but, but because you said so, Jesus. All right. At your word, I'll do it. Not because I think it will achieve my purposes. And listen, Simon's purposes are not even bad purposes. What is, what is Simon, what's Simon desire? Catch some fish? Feed his family? Make sure that his associates are fed and their families are fed? It's not, these are not bad purposes. But because you said, and you are you, Jesus, I'll do it. And what happens? They put them down. They, they catch so many fish that it just about sinks two boats, right? Simon must be wondering, I thought I was an expert fisherman. Have I ever in my whole life caught even one fish that wasn't commanded by this man onto the hook? Simon responds, the only way that we can respond to Jesus when we begin to realize who he is, it's by falling on his knees. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. You you do not understand who Jesus is unless your next immediate thought is, I am sinful. Look through the whole text of Scripture. Every single time someone comes into the presence of God, that's the immediate thing that they do. He's astonished, just as the people at Capernaum were astonished. But Peter recognizes Jesus' authority over the fish. And he recognizes Jesus' authority over himself. He doesn't get it all yet, but he knows that Jesus is sovereign over him. He knows that he's not in charge. Jesus is in charge. What does Jesus say? What a wonderful, what a wonderful Christ that we have. Look at what Jesus says. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And Peter, sitting on the biggest windfall prophet that he has ever seen in his entire career as a fisherman, leaves it all sitting there. Leaves everything. Because what do those fish matter when I can follow the man who commands the fish? When I can do what the man who commands the fish says, that's who I want to be with. Because it's not about Christ serving my purposes, it's about being with Him. It's about following Him. Capernaum thought that they could tame Jesus. And this is the Jesus who tells wild animals where they should go. Right? Come on! He tames evil spirits. He tames fevers and diseases. He tamed the cosmos at the beginning and brought it into order. And he is on his throne right now, taming sin and death and the whole world through the preaching of the gospel by his church. Do you understand? He is taming the world through you, Christian, when you preach the gospel. I don't understand why he would do it that way. 
But he says, do not be afraid. I will make you fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men. You see, Jesus is the primary cause. He draws the fish into the net, but he tells you and me to drop the nets in the water to preach the gospel. You are how he's going to do it. If you tell someone the gospel, I don't know. Listen, I don't know if Jesus will call the fish into the net that time. I don't know. You leave here today, and you go out on the street, and you preach the gospel, or you go to work on Monday, and you tell, share the gospel with someone, or you go wherever, and you share the gospel. I don't know if that time Jesus is going to call the fish into the net, but I do know two things. I know what happens if you never drop the nets in the water. I know what happens then. And I also know that when Jesus said, do not be afraid, I will make you fishers of men. That is not a command. That is a promise. I will make you fishers of men. You don't make you a fisher of men. Jesus does that. And Jesus keeps his promises. Here's the point, guys. You can't tame Jesus. You cannot control Jesus for your purposes. You, you submit to Jesus and his purposes. Now in our world, in our world we see this as a negative thing oftentimes because we place our personal autonomy as the greatest good that there can be. The best thing, it's thought to our world, is the ability to do whatever we want, right? The worst evil is someone keeping us from doing that which we want to do. I had someone tell me one time, Cody, if you really love me, then you would do what I want. Cody, if you really love me, then you would do what I want you to do right now. Don't you really love me? Aren't you a Christian? And never mind that what they asked me to do was not only bad for them, but unjust to others. And of course, that's the problem, right? Everyone... Everyone says people should be able to do what they want to do until suddenly what someone else wants to do gets in the way of what they want to do. And then who wins? And what I'm telling you is Jesus is the one who's supposed to win. Jesus is the one who will win every single time. So who gets to say what we do and don't do? Jesus. And listen, this isn't bad. This is so abundantly good for us. Listen, there's three reasons why submitting to Jesus is better. There's three reasons why Jesus, submitting to Jesus is better, at least, this is just what I could come up with, than, than you trying to submit Jesus to what you want him to do. First, Jesus' authority is better than your authority, right? I can't, I can't catch a fish to save my life. I tried. I'm terrible. I'm a terrible fisherman, all right? I just, I'm, confession time. You take me out fishing, and... You better know how to fish because you're going to be helping me a lot, okay? And if you want to take me, I actually enjoy it. So if you want to take me fishing, I'd love it. But just know that's the situation, okay? The very fish obey his command. He controls everything. We think <laughs> we think we know what we need because we can see quite a bit of the surface of the water, right? But Jesus knows the depths. He knows 
where every fish is at any given moment. We think we know the situation with other people because we see on the surface certain things, but Jesus knows the depths of their heart. He knows what he has put in their life yesterday and the week before and the month before and how he is bringing them to himself. And would we not share the gospel with them? Would we not drop the net in the water? And perhaps he is bringing that fish on the way just at that moment. Second reason that submitting to Jesus is better, Jesus' worthiness is better than our worthiness. Simon's confession is true of all of us. I'm a sinful man. And it's, it's not so much a confession, I don't think, of a particular sin. It's not like Jesus, Simon's like, well, you know, last night uh, we didn't catch any fish, and we got on here on shore, and I was cussing up a storm about it, and I just want to confess that sin to you, Jesus. No, he is saying, my nature, who I am, I am a sinful man. I am not worthy to be in your presence. I'm not worthy to be in the presence of someone who could command the fish to go into the net. Jesus is holy. We're sinful. When I do what I want to do, it hurts people. It hurts me. Because eventually my purposes turn selfish. You see, it's our sinfulness that needs to be subdued, right? Not unleashed. We need Christ, and it's good for us. Listen, my sin has never ultimately made me happy. Never. Oh, certainly it's tasted sweet when it touches my lips at times, but it has always been bitter in my stomach. Oh, certainly I think in the moment this will be really good, but eventually it always turns sour. But following Christ... It has never, not one single time, listening to him, even when it didn't make sense, it has never turned out poorly for me. Not a single time. Uh, Jesus' authority is better than our authority. Jesus' worthiness is better than our worthiness, or we should say unworthiness, am I right? Jesus' purposes are better than our purposes. Not only am I often powerless to bring about my purposes, but my purposes aren't even any good. And here's Jesus saying, I will bring you into my purposes. No longer should you fish for fish. I'll make you fish for men. How much better is Simon's job description now? Do you want to own a fishing company fishing for fish? Or do you want to be on Jesus' crew fishing for men? Simon says, I'll leave all that. Thank you very much. He's made a good choice. See, my purposes. <laughs> always end up being so much smaller than Jesus' purposes, even when I think my purposes are so, so big and important. Would you rather be a little fish in his pond or think you're a big fish in your own? And so we come to one last short story, one last short scene in our passage as we bring this all together. Jesus is in a city. It doesn't say he's in a synagogue or anything. I'm assuming he's just out on the streets and this man full of leprosy, I mean, he has to be on the streets because the leper wouldn't be allowed in the synagogue. And this man full of leprosy, it says full of leprosy, not just a bit of leprosy, full of it. He comes and he falls on his face before Jesus. 
Lord. Isn't that interesting? The two people in our passage who recognize that Jesus is Lord physically fall on their face before him. Isn't that interesting? He recognizes his utter need. He recognizes Jesus' ability to meet that need. You see, when we think about leprosy, we, we often we think about it as being like the social outcast sort of thing. This, this probably more due to like learning about India and the caste system and, and, and what was going on there. Uh, people are literally less valuable because they have leprosy. In first century Judaism, it, it wasn't so much about your worth, but, but it was about cleanliness. The intent wasn't to ostracize someone for having leprosy, the intent was to not make one leper turn into a lot of lepers. Nevertheless, there were social consequences. There were everyday life consequences to to having leprosy beyond just the pain of the actual physical ailments. And so the man falls completely surrendered to Jesus. The only way you can really come to Jesus is on his terms. Lord, if you will, You can make me clean. He recognizes Jesus' superiority and his ability. It's not a matter of if Jesus can, it's a matter of if Jesus will. And Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the man. It's like a a real-life Chuck Norris joke. Jesus doesn't get leprosy. The leprosy gets Jesus. I don't know. I'm probably too old. Maybe some of you guys don't even know what a Chuck Norris joke is. Okay, never mind. Immediately it's gone. Now, here's what's interesting. The guy is truly clean right there at that moment, right? Boom. Jesus touches him. The leprosy is gone. A man full of leprosy. It's all gone. It's all gone. Jesus knows it. The leper knows it. And we might expect Jesus to say, okay, you've been separated from your family, from your friends, maybe for for years. Finally, go, go, go run and see them. But Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He says that Jesus charges him. It's a strong command. Be silent. Go and show yourself to the priest and make the offering that you need to make for cleansing. Obey the commands of Moses. Fulfill the process prescribed in the law wherein the priests would make sure that a person was clean and could re-enter into life as usual. It would be a week-long process of cleansings and sacrifices for the priest to confirm that this person does not have leprosy anymore. A week he'd spend there. Listen. I am sure that that leper said, that doesn't make sense, Jesus. You cleansed me. You cleansed me, Jesus. Why do I need to go do that? You did this, Jesus. Why do I need to go do that? Why can't I just go live my life? What does the leper do? Listen, if you know and understand that you are full of leprosy and that Jesus cleansed you, whatever other words come out of his mouth, you go and do them. Am I right? You were corrupt with sin. Not just a little. You're full of it. Your sin has caused all sorts of problems for you. It's spread to others. It's set you at odds with other people. It's hurt your family. It's hurt your community. It's even hurt you. It's caused you to even have conflict in yourself against yourself. 
But listen, whatever Jesus touches, when he touches it, sin flees. When we're united to Christ through faith, something changes and sin begins to run. You want to act like Jesus is the dog on a leash, on your leash? You think you can leash Jesus from some area of your life? It's going to get you hurt. And it's not going to be Jesus' fault. It's going to be your fault for not trusting him and thinking you can leash him up in the first place. Listen, a broken arm is better than being devoured by Satan. Will you unleash Jesus on your life? Will you allow him to do what he does? Will you submit all of who you are, all of who you are, every single bit to him? Or will you try to tame Jesus? Jesus will and does immediately Command obedience for those whom he has saved. And obedience to his law, not because the law can cleanse us. Only faith in Christ does that work. It's not our sacrifice and our work, but Christ that cleanses us. But it doesn't follow that because our sacrifice and obedience can't cleanse us from sin, that Jesus doesn't intend us to be a living sacrifice and obey him. He does. It's for our good. Because he's sovereign and he is worthy and his purposes are better than our purposes. Jesus' purpose is not merely to get people to like him and to hand out tickets to heaven. That's not what we're here for. That's not the gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus' purpose is to usher in his kingdom and where he reigns in sin where he reigns, sin and Satan flee. Where his people are with him, you cannot unite yourself with Jesus in sin. Where his, where he is, where he reigns, where his kingdom is, his, his world is being restored by his word. Jesus is not tame. He's not tame at all. If you want tame, this is not the place to be. He will not share you with another. Jesus' terms are non-negotiable. All of the word for all of the world. That's it. There's a scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where the kids are with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. If you're a fan of the book, you probably know where I'm going with this already. And Mr. Beaver, he says, Aslan, they're, try, they're, they're try, introducing, they're telling the kids about Aslan for the first time, right? And, and Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then is he safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. 
Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good, and he's the king, I tell you. You cannot tame Jesus and expect Jesus to be the Jesus who is able to cleanse us from sins and transform us. You can't tame Jesus and expect Jesus to be the Jesus who's able to do marvelous things and give us purpose in it. You can't tame Jesus and expect Jesus to be the Jesus who is able to bring salvation to the world and to restore it. You can't tame Jesus and have him as authority over sin and Satan and death. You can't tame Jesus. He's the king, I tell you. Let's pray. Lord.